Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Good afternoon, everybody. You're listening to Concord Matters here live on this Tuesday, May 1st, a May Day. And we're coming to you live from the studios of KFUO here at the International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod in St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your host for this program. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen. I'm the pastor of St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bonterre, Missouri. If you want to find out what's happening at St. Matthew Bonterre, go to our website, stmatthewbt.org. One thing I can tell you is we're going to have a special service on May 10th, which is a Thursday. It's actual Ascension Day. And so we actually have the divine service. Some churches no longer have divine service on Ascension Day. But at St. Matthew Bonterre, we will have the divine service Thursday, May 10th at 7 p.m. And then right after that, we have our ice cream social. So you're uh, welcome to find out more about that uh, at stmatthewbt.org. Uh, well, today we're going to be going through, again, the Book of Concord, the Lutheran Confessions, what our churches believe, teach, and confess on the basis of God's Holy Word. Uh, today we're going to be continuing in the doctrine and practice of repentance from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. If you'd like to join our program, we welcome your comments or questions. We have a toll-free number all across North America. That toll-free number is 800 730 2727. Once again, that's 800-730-2727. Locally here in St. Louis, the phone number is area code 314-821-0850. Again, 314-821-0850. You can also uh, email us your comments or questions pertaining to our topic today. That email address is kfuo at kfuo. We have in the studio today two regular guests of this program, Pastor Matt Wood and Pastor Warren Worth. Welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. All right. So, Pastor Matt Wood, M. Wood of Maplewood, uh, tell us about Concordia Maplewood, where you serve. It's a Lutheran church, and it's in Maplewood, Missouri. You do long gospel there? Long gospel, communion every week, sacrament every week, yep. Can people find out more about this Excellent church. Facebook is the best place. Uh, look up Concordia Lutheran Church in Maplewood, Missouri on Facebook. Get in touch with us. That's where you're, you will see the most up-to-date information. If you want to uh, find a way to judge us and scoff at us, look at our website. <laughs> You'll find information of our 125th anniversary, which we celebrated last summer. All right. Well, Websites now you're celebrating 126 <laughs> this year. And then also uh, to his right is Pastor Warren Worth. 
Welcome again, Warren. You had an adventure this morning, didn't you? And you're able to speak. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I went to the dentist and had some anesthesia there, just local anesthetic. But it takes a while for that to wear off. So I'm grateful now that my tongue is moving and my cheeks are moving and my face isn't drooping uh, as it was right after the procedure. And I, I told you uh, yesterday, I said, uh, if you can come on the program and you're mumbling or slurring your words, I'll just say, this man is not drunk, as you suppose. <laughs> you went to the a- dentist this morning. That was a very good joke, and I'll, I'll keep that one up my sleeve in case I do stumble along the way here. That, that'll be my excuse. All right. And you are the pastor where? I'm the pastor at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Just south of St. Louis County, right across the river. That's correct. And we also have a divine service with the Lord's Supper every Sunday. We're grateful to God for that. And um, preach God's word, the whole counsel of God. We proclaim to you in its truth and purity by the grace of God. And uh, we invite people to join us there. And uh, as the brothers and sisters at St. Matthew and Bonterre, we also will be celebrating the Ascension of our Lord on Thursday, May 10th, 7 p.m. We have a guest speaker, uh, the Reverend uh, Roger James, All right. who's a missionary, has served in Sri Lanka. I believe he's gone to the Philippines That's now, too. That's what I've heard. And uh, he'll be preaching that evening, and then afterwards he'll speak about his mission work, and we'll have refreshments. So we invite anyone in the Arnold area, the St. Louis, Missouri area, to join us uh, Thursday, May 10th, 7 p.m., as well as Sunday morning at 9 a.m. That's our regular time for divine service. Sunday school and Bible class are at 10.30. Can people find out online more about Good Shepherd and Arnold? They can. It's goodshepherdarnold.org. Very good. All right, gentlemen, uh, we are continuing in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. As we say every time, that doesn't mean that we're sorry we did the uh, the Augsburg mm-hmm. Confession. It's actually the opposite. It's a spirited and thorough defense of the Augsburg Confession, which the uh, Lutherans presented in 1530. Uh, and then uh, the Roman Catholic theologians responded with what is called the Confutation. And so this is a response to that. Uh, defending our teachings on the basis of God's word. So uh, in this article 12 on repentance, this is what you might call 12A, repentance. 12B, which we are nearing, will be on confession and satisfaction. Uh, So this will be on repentance. And just up to this point in the previous programs, I'll just give you a brief summary of where we've been. Uh, The Lutherans say that there are two parts to repentance, contrition and faith. The Roman Catholic theologians say there are three parts to repentance, contrition, confession, and satisfaction. Notice they leave out faith, and they add in this matter of satisfaction. Uh, The Lutherans are willing to say, we can talk about a third part, if you wish, uh, fruit fruit worthy of repentance, but that only follows faith. It's not uh, uh, per se part of repentance, which is uh, contrition, sorrow over your sin, and then faith in the promise of forgiveness for Christ's sake. Those are the two chief parts in repentance, and they are the result of God's work of uh, uh, killing you with the law, showing you your sins through the law, and then bringing you to life and giving you the promise of forgiveness for Christ's sake in the gospel. And that uh, the Lutherans also have been saying that the Melanchthon here is saying that forgiveness cannot be received except by faith alone, not through any other way do we earn or receive forgiveness. So that's where we've been up to this point. 
Uh, gentlemen, any comments uh, you want to add to that on by way of review from where we've been? I think you said it all. All right. Then let's move on to some new term, new uh, portion of this article. Beginning, we're in the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, uh, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, if you have a copy at home. And uh, we're in the Apology, Article 12a, and then where it is marked as paragraph 77 begins our new material. And I'm going to read paragraph 77 and 78, and then ask our guests uh, a few questions about this. And the author here is Philip Melanchthon, Luther's uh, uh, able assistant, and uh, he's actually penning these words in response to the confutation. Paragraph 77. Yes, it is a disgrace to Christ and a repeal of the gospel to believe that we receive the forgiveness of sins because of the law or any way other than through faith in Christ. We discussed this before in the article on justification. There we declared why we confess that people are justified through faith, not through love. The doctrine of the adversaries is merely the doctrine of the law when they teach that by their own contrition and love, people receive the forgiveness of sins and trust in this contrition and love. Even so, it is not understood that they, uh, it is not understood uh, the kind of love toward God it demands, just as the Jewish people looked upon Moses' veiled face. Let us imagine that love is present, and let us imagine that works are present. Yet neither love nor works can be an atoning sacrifice for sin. The adversaries cannot even be opposed to God's wrath and judgment, according to Psalm 143, verse 2, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Neither should Christ's honor be transferred to our works. So we want to look at, gentlemen, what is the fundamental difference between the, what the Lutherans here are saying and what the Roman Catholic Church is saying. Uh, and there are four terms that are used throughout here, and we probably should define them. The four terms that I, I noticed running throughout here are the terms love, the law, contrition, and works. Before we talk about uh, where the errors error in any of these are, let's just try to define our terms and take turns here. Uh, what is meant by love, Pastor Wood, in this context? Well, uh, Rome will talk about love, and I, I, I think they'll use love and charity kind Caritas, of synonymously. Caritas, yeah. And this is these are the action you you I'm. I'm having a hard time finding words to distinguish between love and works okay because love the love and the charity is what um, empowers the things you do to to uh, make satisfaction for your sins your almsgiving your praying your uh, your good works okay if they're done out of love rather I love suppose than whom? fear God neighbor God and neighbor. Anything you want to add to that? Well, Pastor just Ward? just tying in that the whole point there is instead of talking about God's love for us, right, 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 gospel, yes. it's our love for God, our love for the yes. neighbor. That somehow, according to Rome, we should be able to stir up in ourselves to earn grace, to, okay. to merit, to merit grace. So even prior to receiving God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, working in us, faith and so forth, it's like somehow we can 
dig deep inside and bring up this love in our hearts to love God and to love our neighbor and do these things. Like you said, that somehow are earning God's grace, meriting God's favor and uh, preparing us for uh, justification. And then what about this term law, the law? What do we mean by that, Pastor Worth? Well, again, as as Pastor Wood was saying, you know, this would tie into the idea that we're fulfilling what God commands in the Bible. So again, whether you're talking about the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, or you might in Rome add uh, man-made laws as well, the like canon law, okay. uh, and the rules the church has imposed in addition to and on top of what God actually commands in Holy Scripture. So that would be another factor there. And only fish on Friday. Right. Yeah. Which, what, is, which makes for great fish fries, but it yeah. doesn't make for good atonement. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and what about uh, contrition, Pastor? What, what does that term mean? Well, c- contrition is your, your heartbreak or your sorrow, your regret maybe over, over sin. It's the, uh, the despair, the recognition that what you've done is wrong, the sorrow that you've grieved, grieved God basically. And particularly in Rome, you're absolutely right, but in in Rome they distinguish between perfect contrition and imperfect contrition, Mm -hmm. which they call attrition. Where you're only afraid of the punishment. Right, Right. so it's it's not good enough if you're afraid of going to hell, you know. It has to be that you realize how terrible the sin is and how terribly you have offended this God whom you love, which again presupposes that you're able to love God in the first Mm -hmm. place, Mm -hmm. and and so it, it really gets things topsy-turvy. And of course, works would be good works. Um, the things we do that are good, uh, as opposed to bad works. Anything else on that? Well, and again, in Rome, defining works in addition to the way God would define a good work, something that's, a you know, according, something done in faith by the child of God, according to the Ten Commandments for the glory of God and the benefit of your neighbor, they add all kinds of things, like uh, don't eat meet, you know, fasting on Friday, uh, you know, the works of supererogation, you know, if you're able to live a celibate life as a religious person. Over and above. Over and above. Mm -hmm. So they have this idea of works, fasting, pilgrimages, all these kinds of things, as if, again, as if work was somehow paying God something and earning or meriting his favor, uh, earning a place in his presence and earning his love, which is completely contrary to the Bible. Let me, let me step back here. These terms I've just mentioned, love, law, contrition, works. I mean, these all sound like good things. They are all how good do you things. Speak, how can you speak against love? How can you speak against, isn't God's law good and holy and right? Yes. Isn't it about love God and love your neighbor? How can you be against yes. those things? What do these things accomplish is the, is the question. In Rome, and, this, and the issues are still here today, this is still the issue, in Rome, uh, they believe that your love, your works under the law, uh, God's law and man's law, your contrition even, your ability to feel sorrow, you know, how pure is it? And we should it? feel sorrow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Lutherans are saying right. part of repentance is contrition. Right. But in Rome, they will say those things merit forgiveness and life for you and even for other people. If you do it super good, you can merit things for yourself and others forgiveness for yourself and even others some time off from purgatory or right so 
So it's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong. These are good things. Love, God's law, contrition, sorrow over sin, good works. These are all good things. But when you put them in the wrong place, that's the problem. They are not the things in which we should put our trust. Okay. Not, nothing that we do should be the thing in which we put our trust when we come before God and are in need of his forgiveness, his grace, the gift of his salvation. Instead, we should be trusting in the perfect work of Christ. He alone has perfect love. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And uh, the law, he fulfilled the law perfectly for us in our stead. You know, that's not something we could do. Contrition, you know, yes, we should be sorry for our sins. Even that, God works in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Word, so that we're sorry for our sins. And then that Holy Spirit works in us, that trust in Jesus instead of us. Our, our faith is in Christ for us and his work for us. So his perfect life, suffering, death, and resurrection, uh, all that for us. And and that it gets what was we what we were just talking about, just reading about in the Apology, in the words right before the words we read today, where uh, it says, um, let's see, in this promise it asks us to trust, namely, that we are reconciled to the Father for Christ's sake, not for the sake of our own contrition or love, for there is no other mediator or atoning sacrifice, propitiation, uh, than Christ. Neither can we do the works of the law unless we have first been reconciled through Christ. If we would do anything, we must believe that for Christ's sake, as mediator and atoning sacrifice, we receive the forgiveness of sins and not for the sake of these works. So there you have it. It's putting your trust in the wrong thing. Right. Uh, what what Rome is doing here. All right, let's go on to paragraph 79. For these reasons, Paul, that's the Apostle Paul, the author of a number of epistles in the New Testament. For these reasons, Paul argues that we are not justified by the law. He contrasts the law to the promise of the forgiveness of sins, which we receive, which we freely receive, and which is granted for Christ's sake. Paul calls us away from the law to this promise upon this he asks upon this he asks us to look the promise certainly will be void if we are justified by the law before we are justified through the promise or if we receive the forgiveness of sins because of our own righteousness now we got another theological glossary word here and that is justified and he's talking about righteousness or being reconciled can you uh, explain these terms for people who maybe aren't familiar with any of those, either one of you? Justified, righteous, or reconciled? Okay, justified, a very key term in the Bible. and this, It's a courtroom term that uh, is about someone being declared righteous by the judge, declared not guilty. In right standing. In right standing, exactly. And in this case, you know, the scriptures describe this as we are justified on account of Christ. So it's by grace on account of Christ, and that verdict is received by faith in the promise of the mercy of God that is given to us in Jesus Christ. And so reconciled then is like being brought back together. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to add, Pastor Wood? Well, I, I find it helpful to think of when someone, remember when you were, you did something wrong in school or something, and basically someone says, why did you do that? All right, why did you hit Tommy with a baseball bat or, or something like that. Um, I mean, the real question or the real demand there posed by the principal or the teacher or whatever is justify yourself. 
explain this to me, make it right, convince me that what you did is right. And so when we stand before God, we need to be justified in the sense that our, our, our presence, our ability to stand before God needs to be explained. If we're going to stand before God, it, somehow it needs to be right for us to be there. So how do we get that way? And it's purely by the death and resurrection of Christ. And not his by blood. anything in me. Absolutely, period, the end, not. And when we try yeah. to justify ourselves, it doesn't work. We aren't justified by our self-justification. We're not excused by our own worthless excuses. The only mm-hmm. way to be right with God is by grace for Jesus' sake through faith. Right. What has Jesus done to justify me? His life, his suffering and death on the cross in my place, his resurrection. You know, so he was handed over to die for my sins. He's the righteous one. He is our righteousness. Christ is our righteous. Exactly. So the righteous died for the unrighteous to bring us to God and to make us God's own. So God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in connection with him. And so we're declared God isn't being a softy judge when he declares Mm -hmm. us not guilty. Oh, yeah. We, the penalty, an answer the needs justice, to be made. The yeah. justice has been served, mm-hmm. but he did it for us. For right. us. That's the key thing. Yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. So here uh, Melanchthon is talking about how we are justified, whether it's by the law or through the promise. How are these two things different, Pastor Wood, uh, being justified by the law or being justified through the promise? Yeah. I, I think in the very beginning of this article, uh, Melanchthon says... Who from the adversaries can possibly answer this question? When does forgiveness happen in this whole system of, of uh, penance and satisfaction? And when does the forgiveness happen? When does it happen? Does it happen after I've done the rosary, however many times I'm told? Does it happen? That's, that's the law. And that's where uh, Rome is still to this day. The promise is forgiveness happens when Jesus says so. So how do we get this promise? Jesus puts a church here on earth for us. Uh, Jesus puts a book, a, a gospel, the, the scriptures here for us, and he, he gathers us in under his rule and reign of forgiveness, and he gives servants to us to speak the forgiveness to us. So his pastors say, I forgive you, and Jesus says, yeah, that guy, he speak, yep, that, that's, that's what happens. So if I just walk in a church on Sunday morning, I get this just by walking in the building? <laughs> if you're walking in in faith, faith oh, you know you, you bring up the, the faith word. The F word. <laughs> what is this faith? Right. Uh, this taking hold of the promise. You know, God is promising you the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. He's promising that what Jesus did counts for you, and the very message of that, the pronouncement of that uh, act of what Jesus did for you works faith. It, it works that trust that receives. And that's the whole thing. Faith receives what Jesus gives. And so if you think of uh, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, you know, Lazarus has been dead and in the grave for four days. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. You know, can a dead man hear? No. Can a dead man get up and walk? No. But the word of Jesus made it happen. So that a dead man got up and walked out of the grave alive. The word of Jesus had that power to do that. In the same way, when he says, I died for you, I rose again, I forgive you, believe, his word produces faith. Mm -hmm. His his word brings us to life when we were dead in trespasses and sins so that we do believe because his word creates faith. And I think we can understand this to a certain degree just in the way we talk. It's like you cannot trust a promise that has not been spoken, right? I mean, if, if 
my dad my dad promised that my parents are coming this weekend they effectively made a promise that they'll that they're going to come to town i can't believe that if no one if they don't ever tell it to me Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah so even with our friends and our family we we know that when they speak a promise it creates it creates the receiving or the trust in the promise the problem with our friends and family is that so often they fail us God's and so that trust is sure. isn't, but God's word is sure and eternal and not, never I'm thinking fails, of right? two things. One is in Ephesians 2, by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of Godless. So this whole thing of being saved by grace through faith, even the faith part, is the gift of God. And then I'm thinking of uh, the explanation of the third article of the creed. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, etc., so this gospel actually creates the faith it calls for. Right. It's every bit as big a miracle as creation, where in the beginning God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so now the light of the gospel, the glory of God is shown in our hearts in the face of Jesus Christ. Very good. Uh, Stephanie, let's take our break now. We are on uh, Article 12 of the Apology, and you're listening to Worldwide KFUO. We'll be back with Concord Matters right after this. KFUO is faithful to the Word of God. Listen daily to KFUO as we focus on salvation through Christ Jesus. Generations have heard KFUO proclaim the good news through our talk programs, music programs, and worship services. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. KFUO, faithful, scriptural, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We are the messenger of good news, KFUO. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. our voices every day as we speak the gospel, share the latest news, or for insightful and sometimes entertaining talk. Why not share your voice with us and send us your feedback, suggestions, and questions? Leave your comment at 314-996-1542. Be sure to follow us on social media, too, so you can like, comment, and share your favorite posts. Drop an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or send a snail mail letter to Worldwide KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. A noble lion, hobbits, all are characters and settings in classic novels for children and adults filled with imagination and replete with biblical imagery. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings and the meek and humble hobbits assigned to save the world with several storylines alluding to themes from the Bible. 
or the allegory in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, depicting a noble lion who's killed and resurrected to save his kingdom. In the last battle, Lucy says, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world, referencing the story of Jesus' birth found in the Gospel of Luke. When C.S. Lewis was asked to suggest an approach to spark the creation of Christian literature that might influence a generation, he said, I have no recipe, no tablets. The New Testament shows the greatest variety. God has shown us that he can use any instrument. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. We are back on Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. We're talking about uh, repentance today from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. I'm your host, Pastor Charles Henriksen. In the studio with me are pastors Matt Wood and Warren Worth. And uh, we invite your comments or questions. Our uh, toll-free number, 800-730-2727. Locally in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Our email address, kfuo at kfuo.org. We were uh, in this section here in uh, Article 12A on repentance. Uh, We had gotten through uh, Paragraph 79, so I'm going to pick it up at Paragraph 80 and read through Paragraph 82 if you're following along at home. Clearly the promise was given to us and Christ was offered to us because we cannot do the works of the law. Therefore, it is necessary that we are reconciled by the promise before we do the works of the law. The promise, however, is received only through faith. It is necessary for contrite persons to take hold of the promise for the, of the forgiveness of sins granted for Christ's sake through faith and to be confident that they have a reconciled father freely for Christ's sake. This is Paul's meaning when he says, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed, Romans 4.16. And the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, Galatians 3, verse 22. This means that all are under sin. Neither can they be freed except by grasping the promise of the forgiveness of sins through faith. Therefore, we we must accept the forgiveness of sins through faith before we do the works of the law. Although, as has been said before, love follows faith because the reborn person received the Holy Spirit and so begins to do the works of the law. All right. um, Here in this passage, Melanchthon is saying all are under sin and they all all need to be freed from this. Uh, Why... Why can he say that, that all people are under sin and need to be free from that? And do you think most people today actually believe that? Well, I'll start with the last question first. Today, people don't seem to have that understanding, especially in 21st century America. People seem to think, I'm just fine the way I am. And yet... And yet everyone has a conscience and that little voice inside that God put there uh, when he uh, wrote his law on our hearts in, in creation still does accuse. And, you know, we have a sense of right and wrong and we have a sense that we don't always live up to the standard of right, even if our understanding of what is right is faulty. And, uh, and but once we have God's clear law in his word, 
speaking to us about what is truly right in his sight and what is truly wrong in his sight, it exposes our sin. It's like looking in the mirror and saying, oh my, I messed up. I, you know, woe is me. I'm an I'm unclean man, a man of unclean lips, and I need cleansing. I need healing. I need forgiveness. And so, uh, yeah. So, so suppose somebody realizes that, yeah, I've done sins. So what? Why do I need What's my need that I need to be freed from this? Can I free myself? Or why do I even need to be freed from it? Pastor Wood. Yeah, I think most people are, most people, like you say, will readily admit, well, pff, no, no one's perfect, right? But sin is an addiction, and we are all addicted. And and uh, what we do, and what we do is we try to justify ourselves, uh, pay attention to the way people spy. It's not just, it's not so bad, right? I just, it was, you know, who cannot look at the bikini clad women on a beach, right? You know, and, and you just, you make your sin less and less and less until it's, it's not a problem. But it's a major problem because every time we sin, uh, we destroy God's creation. We objectify our neighbors. We, we make havoc in this world. We're not so. There's free damage from the on the on, yeah. the on the horizontal level, right? And we thumb our face, thumb our nose at God, and we say, every time we sin, we're turning to God and saying, "Fooey on you, whatever, whatever. I got this. I I can. I got. I got a better order for my life than you have given for my life." Well, so what? So, so what? What's the problem? So God is the creator, and he is holy and just, and will not tolerate sin. God hates sin, and therefore the soul that sins must die. And again, again, the Bible... Oh, the D word. Ah, yeah. Death and damnation. Let's add that's another where I was. That's where I was heading with this. Death and damnation. So the holy God, who says, you have rebelled against me, says, you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. The soul that sin shall die. The wages of sin is death. And death is more than just physical death. There's also this, that we deserve to be cast out of God's sight into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So when the Bible talks about death and damnation, it's a big deal. And it's real. And it's not something that we can weasel our way out of on our own. Right. Even if we try to make good excuses like mm-hmm. Pastor Wood was trying to do there, demonstrating for us, we all do it. You know, our sinful nature tries to justify itself. Our sinful nature is always to make excuses and to say, God, I'm not that bad. It's not my fault. And yet, you know, the, the law accuses us until every mouth is stopped and everyone is held accountable to God. Mm-hmm. And then when you're beat down, so there's no more yabbit, yabbit, yabbit. It's no more yabbits. I finally have to say, yes, Lord, you are right. I am wrong. I have sinned. I am guilty. I deserve your wrath and punishment. And there we're dealing with contrition and you know the law bringing us to be sorry for our sins. And we're ready then to hear the good news. And that good news, which is about God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As you say, the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life mm-hmm. in Christ. So the last I checked, the death rate is still 100%. And uh, that's the big... Well, it's like 99.9 repeating. Well, Jesus did die, though, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. He, he well, rose but you're, again. you're talking about Elijah. 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 Enoch. <laughs> Enoch. right? Well, well I, I want to just add to what uh, Pastor Worth was saying. The, I think the last desperate attempt of a sinful conscience, right? You've, you've tried to whittle away the consequences of sin, the severity of sin. I didn't actually do it. And then, and then you're under the thumb. You, you're, you can't back out. And then the last thing which our our culture has accepted, 
is, oh, God's God's not going to take it seriously. Hell isn't real. There is, you know, there is. I no can't believe in a God like that. Right. And, well, and that is the, that's that's the end of it. Right. The the end of it after you try and justify yourself and fail and fail and fail. Ultimately, atheism is the end. Just put God in the dock. Right. Com- God completely on trial. Forgetting God. Yeah. And the amazing mm-hmm. thing is that God went into the dock for us. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus took our place. Right. So you want to blame God, and it's wrong for us to try to blame God, like Adam and Eve in the garden. Yeah. You, you the, know, the woman, woman you, you put here, mm-hmm. she did this, and yet ultimately God surprises us by taking the blame even though he is without sin and doesn't deserve the blame he takes the blame we deserve you know and that's what grace is all about that god loved the world god gave his son and jesus willingly willingly goes to calvary's cross willingly assumes the load of our sin the lord lays on him the iniquity of us all so that by his wounds we are healed so this is really life and this is real stuff that apply this isn't just back in the 1500s or the time of the bible this is real stuff for every person listening to our voice today uh this is reality for you this is life and death life and death uh matters here uh that applies to every single person because we every one of us is a sinner and we are in need of forgiveness now the question is, how do we get right with God? How do we receive God's forgiveness? And there are two different paths being laid out here. One is looking back to yourself, what you can do, and one is trusting in God's promise of free grace in Christ. And you can guess which one we're in favor of here. All right, let's go on then. Um, paragraph 83 uh, says as follows, we we would cite more testimonies if they were not clear in the scriptures to every godly reader. We do not wish to be too wordy. Now, that's probably the funniest line <laughs> in the whole thing here, where a German theologian saying, we do not wish to be too wordy, uh, so that we may bring this case to a conclusion. And he says, we could cite more testimonies. And so I'm wondering, are there more testimonies? Either one of you, just one or two examples uh, beyond the ones he cited here from Romans and Galatians, that uh, say clearly in Scripture that we receive forgiveness through faith, not through our works. Well, you said a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 2, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Yeah. And the, by the way, that Ephesians 2 verse 10 then adds the third thing, which is the good works, but they are seen as right. the fruit, what God is we doing through us. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which mm-hmm. God has prepared in advance for us After to do. After we're already God's raised to life and God's children. Right. Pastor right. Wood, do you have another passage you can think of that uh, clearly shows that uh, forgiveness is received through faith, not by our works? Well, he's been dealing with... Romans chapter 4, but I'm going to go to Romans chapter 3. I'm going to count that as a new passage. All right, that's fair enough. Uh, But now righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You can't get much clearer than that. Right, and if and if at any point along the way, at any single point along the way, anything rests on our works, it's uncertain. It's it's first well, of all, it's uncertain. uncertain. First it's, of all, it's, it's uncertain. Inadequate. Second of all, if anything, if anything along the way rests on our works, it's no longer a gift. It's a mm-hmm. payment. Yeah. It's what we uh, deserve or earn. And Scripture has no place for us deserving anything. Yeah. Apart from the work of Christ. 
So uh, Melanchthon's saying we could add a whole bunch of other scriptures here. Mm-hmm. See, what Rome was doing was cherry-picking snippets here and there to build their case, and they weren't going with the clear teaching of scripture. All right, paragraph 84. Neither is there any doubt that we are defending Paul's meaning. He teaches that through faith we receive the forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake, and that through faith we should set Christ as mediator against God's wrath and not our works. Nor should godly minds be disturbed when the adversaries find fault with Paul's judgments. Nothing is said so simply that it cannot be distorted by objecting. We know that we have mentioned Paul's true and genuine meaning. We know that our belief brings sure comfort to godly consciences without which no one can stand in judgment. Pastor Wood, I see here kind of this twofold refrain that you see running throughout the whole apology. Uh, what is what is uh, Melanchthon's concerns in two directions here? Right. Well, uh, we, we were talking about this earlier, and I was almost confused because because they 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 go together so much that it's almost like a onefold concern in two folds, if that makes sense. Sure. But, but Christ is our mediator. Christ bring, wins for us forgiveness. Christ gives to us forgiveness. It's all about Christ. We got to keep Him in the center. Give Him spot. all the honor and glory. Right. And doing that. Is the second doing that second fold second concern is that's where we finally get comfort, true comfort, true for comfort. terrified or troubled consciences. Trouble, right. That's over right. and over again. If you'll Christ is this. ever moved from the center, then who knows? <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Let's uh, go on here, and I'll get to you in a moment here, Pastor Worth. Paragraphs eighty-five and the beginning of eighty-six. And for those of you on the three-year lectionary series, you probably heard uh, a reading in here that you probably heard that this last Sunday, and it'll move into this Sunday as well. All right, paragraph 85. Let these legalistic opinions of the adversaries be rejected. Among these are that we do not receive the forgiveness of sins by faith, but that it should be merited by our love and works. Another opinion is that we should set our love and our works against God's wrath. This doctrine is not of the gospel, but of the law. It wrongly teaches that a person is justified by the law before he has been reconciled through Christ to God. Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Likewise, I am the vine, you are the branches. John 15, verse 5. But the adversaries wrongly teach that we are branches not of Christ, but of Moses. Uh, For they want to be justified by the law and to offer their loving works to God before they are reconciled to God through Christ, before they are branches of Christ. Pastor Worth, uh, I know in my church I preached on the vine and the branches uh, this past Sunday. Maybe you did too. Yes. And it, the second part of that comes up this Sunday. What is meant here by this verse uh, where Christ says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a very powerful image, isn't it? And everybody can immediately recognize the truth of that. God created living things in such a way that if there's a grapevine, you know, it is able to draw the nutrients from the soil and send that life-giving stuff into its branches. The branches don't produce themselves. They're produced by the branch. They receive their uh, from the vine. The, the, so the vine produces the branches. The vine gives life to the branches. And the, la- the vine, by giving its life-giving substance to the branches, causes them to bear fruit. And Jesus says that's the way it is. I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so, so decode that now for our life. Is... De- decoding that so that 
we have life because we're connected to Jesus through his word. He talks about abide in me, my words abide in you. And it's by his life-giving word that we have life. We've been brought out of death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life by faith in Jesus. We have eternal life through faith in Jesus. And Jesus, who works faith in us and gives us life, is also the one who produces in us fruit. That is, the good works that give glory to God. So we don't produce works and thus earn a place on the vine. Uh, It's the other way around. He produces life in us and produces works in us. uh, It's because we have this life this life-giving connection to Jesus. He is the one who is the source of everything. He gives, we receive, and then it's by his grace that we produce works that give glory to God. And he says, you're already clean by the word that I've spoken to you. And so it's his word that makes us clean, that forgives our sins, that gives us life, and that then produces the works that follow faith. Pastor Wood, anything more on the vine and the branches here? Well, if, if you're grafted into any other vine apart from Christ, your fruit is not, is, is, is rotten. Right, it's it's not like God in pruning the the vineyard goes, oh hey, I want this branch, and he cuts off cuts off the branch because he likes the fruit, and he puts it onto Jesus's vine. That's not that's not the way it works. But that is even to this day the teaching of Rome. The anonymous Christians do what is in you, right? And and uh, God will not turn turn down your good works, even if you don't know which Jesus. are artificial fruit. They may look like <laughs> right. real fruit, but they're not produced from faith right. in Christ. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Can right. do nothing that is uh, considered a good work in God's sight. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, if you're disconnected from me, the true vine, you'll die. You'll die. You're like a, mm-hmm. a branch that withers and is gathered up and thrown into the fire and burned. So clearly, so we need to be connected to Christ, and Christ, we're connected to Christ through his words, thus the existence of the church. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think in, in our culture today, we we we're our, our culture is very attracted to the fruit of the church, but not to the vine, and so so our culture is is really attracted to chopping off the fruit, chopping off the branch, right, and running away with the fruit, but inevitably the fruit will go rotten, right? You, or they you look at the parts run. of the branches that need to be pruned and say, well, I don't want anything to do with that. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the mm-hmm. mess-ups that we Christians do and say, well, that's their excuse for not having anything mm-hmm. to do with the church. Well, the Heavenly Father is going to prune us, and that can be painful, but it's so that we can produce more fruit. Let's go on then. Uh, the second part of 86 and into 87. On the other hand, Paul argues that the law cannot be obeyed without Christ. We must receive the promise first so that through faith we may be reconciled to God on account of Christ. Then we can do the works of the law. Those who truly feel and have experienced sin and anguish of conscience must cling to the promise of grace. We think that these things are clear enough to godly consciences. In this way, they will understand why we have declared before that people are justified through faith, not through love. We must set against God's anger, not our lover works or trust in our, or trust in our lover works, but Christ as mediator. We must grasp the promise of the forgiveness of sins before we do the works of the law. I'm noticing this word before, and I'm thinking of this uh, image, uh, the old saying of putting the cart before the horse. Pastor Worth, you're as old as I am. You've heard that phrase, putting the cart before the horse. What is meant? 
by that, and how does that apply here? Once again, that's just kind of a figure of speech that anyone can relate to. If you've seen a cart being pulled by a horse, that works. If you've ever seen a horse try to push a cart, that doesn't work. Okay? The cart can't pull the horse. Right. And so so you have to have the the horse in front of the cart to pull it, and that, in this case, Christ and his love and his forgiveness precede our fulfilling the law, our doing good works, our uh, loving God and loving our neighbor. All right. Uh, let's go on here. We may actually get as far as we're aiming for today. We'll see. Paragraph 88. Finally, when will conscience be quieted if we receive forgiveness of sins on the ground that we love or that we do the works of the law? The law will always accuse us because we never satisfy God's law. Just as Paul says, the law brings wrath. Romans 4.15. Chrysostom, that's the uh, John St. John Chrysostom, the, the ancient church father. Chrysostom asks about repentance. Where are we made sure that our sins are forgiven? Uh, the adversaries also, in their sentences, that's a reference to the influential medieval uh, book, The Sentences of Peter Lombard, which is... Uh, and the commentators on that were going astray with their works righteousness. The adversaries also, in their sentences, ask about the same subject. This cannot be explained. Consciences cannot be made at peace unless they know it is God's command in the very gospel that they should be firmly confident that sins are forgiven freely for Christ's sake and that they should not doubt this. If anyone doubts, he charges the divine promise with falsehood as 1 John 5.10 says, we teach that the gospel requires this certainty of faith. The adversaries leave consciences uncertain and wavering. So uh, there's a concern here for consciences. And uh, this phrase uh, in the Latin is familiar to many of us. Lex semper accusat. Uh, Pastor Wood, what is meant by that? Lex semper accusat. Uh, the law always accuses. It, it always um, holds it holds you accountable for more than you ever could possibly answer for. So we can never satisfy the law. Yeah, that yes, that's what's even we Christians, even some good people I've known, like my sainted grandmother or something, she never fulfilled God's law. Not all of it. Okay. Not apart from in Christ, she has claim to that righteousness, but the righteousness is Christ's and from Christ and given to her. But what if we don't? preach the law as you're a condemned sinner, but we just say, this is the right way for us to live. Uh, right, so so the law always accuses. It will always accuse, but that's not the only thing it does. It does give us a way, it does give us a goal, a laudable goal, a... a, a, a uh, um, guide for Christian living. Guide for Christian for Christian living. And and that's good. The law remains good. We should strive to love our neighbor as ourself upon you know, love God with mm -hmm. all our soul, heart, mind, and the neighbor as ourself. That's that's the law. Yep, good. Do it. Try to do it. It's still gonna accuse you because you're not gonna be able to. Yeah. Pastor Worth. So, so we do we do believe in sanctification and our our Lutheran teachers and the confessions teach sanctification. So we do believe that God sanctifies us and he brings forth the fruit in us. And nevertheless, because the law always accuses us when we see we're, we're still not perfect. And we, mm -hmm. we, as Christians, we recognize to the day we die, we still daily sin much and deserve not, indeed deserve nothing but punishment. So we don't put our confidence in our good works, even the good works that are done after we've been brought to faith. Always, 
always, always, our faith is in Christ, his perfect righteousness, his perfect work for us, the perfect forgiveness of sins that we have in him. And then that is what motivates us and empowers us to do good works and to strive to live that new life to which God has called us in Christ. Uh, This thing about the law always accuses, and I was thinking about, you know, in the Bible you have where it says now, love your neighbors yourself and, you know, writing to Christians saying, do these good works. We call that maybe the third use of the law. And we uphold the third use of the law as a guide for Christian living for Christians. But I recall a sentence I read in Bob Kolb's book, Teaching God's Children, His Children, His Teaching. And it's, uh, we may be using the law as a domesticated guide dog, but at any given moment, it may leap up like a snarling wolf. Do you remember that? Pastor, I, Pastor I, I vaguely recall reading that, yeah. The point yeah. being is we can be teaching, all right, now you should love one another, Christians and all that, but then the effect, we're teaching as third use, and rightly so, but it can also have that second use con- condem- condemning effect. And so we always have to bathe it in the forgiveness of sins. And the longer you're a Christian, the more you're aware of your failures. And we realize there's sins of omission as well as sins of commission. And so, yes, uh, we do preach the third use of the law. We do see God's law as a guide for Christian living. But always, always, we come back to the forgiveness of sins. We live and breathe that forgiveness of sins because that's uh, the source of eternal life for us. And that's also where we have the comfort and how we can live in peace with God and with one another. And then we're motivated and empowered to want to love God and to serve our neighbor because of all he's done for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord and mediator. All right, let's see if we can get through these last couple paragraphs here. Paragraph 89, consciences, however, do nothing by faith when they constantly doubt whether they have forgiveness. In this doubt, can they call upon God? How can they be confident that they are heard? So the entire life would be without God and without the true worship of God. This is what Paul says. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Romans fourteen twenty three, Because they are constantly occupied with this doubt, they never experience what faith is. So they finally rush at last into despair. Such is the doctrine of the adversaries, the doctrine of the law, the setting aside of the gospel, the doctrine of despair. I have one question for Pastor Worth on this, and then paragraph 90, I'll have one question for Pastor Wood. So this matter of doubt, what he calls the doctrine of despair, uh, there's also a phrase, the monster of uncertainty. Are we, should we, is it being humbled to be uncertain that we're saved? Now, we can be sure of our salvation, and Scripture is written for that very reason, that we may know that we have eternal life. First John five thirteen. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Likewise, at the end of John's Gospel, you know, he says, these things are written so that you uh, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. We can be sure, and it's not arrogant, because we're praising Jesus, because that's how we're sure. He did all the work. We receive it as gift. Let me read this last paragraph in the last minute here. Paragraph 90. We are glad to refer judgment about this subject of repentance, for it is clear to all good people. They can decide whether we or the adversaries have taught these things that are more godly and healthful to consciences. Indeed, indeed, these disagreements in the church do not delight us. If we did not have great and necessary reasons for disagreeing with the adversaries, we would, with the greatest pleasure, be silent. But since they condemn the clear truth, It is not right for us to abandon what is not our own cause, but the cause of Christ and the church. 
Pastor Wood, what would you say when you say you Lutherans are just looking for a fight? Actually, this the whole point of the apology is so we can stop fighting. It's let's come together under the gospel of Christ and be certain about his word and his promise. That and this is us. why we call this the book of concord, the book of agreement and harmony in the gospel of Christ, which is for you, dear listener. You've been listening to Concord Matters here on Worldwide KFUO.